You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Good morning. My name is Leslie Dunn, and I'll be reading from Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and Galatians 3, 7 through 9. As you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you, make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Know then, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may all be seated. (laughs) I got it. Good morning, everyone. It is a blessing to be gathered together with you this morning to worship the Lord and to uh, be able to spend some time in his word. I want to extend my thanks to Joel and to David and the rest of the elders for this opportunity to be with you. And uh, it's just been such a blessing for me to be building relationships with Joel and David and and Eddie and uh, who all have been partners in the Racial Reconciliation Network. As Joel said, we are focused on bringing pastors together cross-racially because there's a reality about leadership in the church. If pastors don't lead reconciliation, the church will never be reconciled. And so it begins with us. And so it's a a joy and a blessing to be able to work with uh, your pastors here uh, in that effort. So I want to start off this morning um, with a little uh, cultural diversity exercise. Um, And so if you you didn't come prepared to do a cultural uh, diversity exercise, adjust your mind this morning. Okay? And it's going to be real simple. Uh, See, if you haven't noticed, I'm black. And, and that means that I have a different cultural background. And so when, when I'm preaching uh, in the context of a black church, usually it's kind of like a dialogue. And, and, and people will, will, will talk back to me to let me know if they're tracking with me or not. So I'm going to make this real simple for you this morning. If you agree with me or I say something that, that you just feel the Spirit confirming something in your heart, say amen. amen. Okay, I want you to try that again. 
<laughs> if you feel like the Spirit is, is confirming something in your heart, say amen. amen. All right, very good. And, and if I say something this morning that um, you might disagree with or it causes you to struggle, just say, hmm. <laughs> and then I'll know that you and I need to talk after the service. It, it, uh, I, 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 and I, I, I say that this morning because I want, you to, I want you to be engaged in what we're talking about this morning. We're going to spend some time in the scriptures and we're going to talk about a very controversial subject in the life of the church. And, and, and sometimes these things aren't easy to talk about, but I want you to feel free to be engaged. And I, and I especially for those of you who are white, There you talk to me, brother. <laughs> I, let me be your black friend this morning, okay? I, because one of the one of the things that makes this subject so difficult, is, and we're going to talk about this a little later. But one of the things that makes this subject so difficult is is like. Yeah. Can I say this? Is it okay to say this? And some of you might be thinking this morning, I wonder where this guy's going to come from. I mean, the elders brought this black pastor in to talk about diversity. Uh, is, is he woke? Is he a Black Lives Matter guy? Is he a conservative? So let me answer that question for you, because I'm sure somebody had that question this morning. This is real simple. I'm a Christian. And Jesus is my Lord. And, 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 and when we come to issues like this, it's incredibly important that we remain Christ-centered. You see, one of the reasons that there's so much division, racial division, in the church today is because when it comes to this particular issue, we're not thinking biblically. We, we, go, we usually, here in America, we go political. We either lean right or we lean left. And, and, and we're feeling each other out to kind of figure out where you're coming from. But as believers in Jesus Christ, who confess Jesus as Lord, King of Kings, we take our cues from him. And so this morning as we go in and we begin to explore this topic of does Christianity crush diversity, I want us to look at it from a biblical perspective. I want us to think about what the Bible says about the issue of race and diversity. And, and let me tell you, we're, we're only going to scratch the surface this morning. They're, 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 the scriptures are full of, of insight and examples where we could draw from this morning, but we're, we're just going to be content to scratch the surface and hope, hopefully stir your thinking and to get you thinking about not only where you are specifically in your own life and how you're thinking about race in the life of the church, but where's the church? How do we have the kingdom impact that God has called us to have as his ambassadors to reconcile the world to himself? How do we do that on this particular topic? So, as we look at the subject, does Christianity crush diversity, I want you to know that I'm going to look at this two ways this morning. First, I'm going to, we're, we're going to spend some time in the scriptures. 
We're going to answer the question theologically. We're going to look in the scriptures and say, what does the Bible teach on this particular issue? But then, after we look at the question theologically, then we're going to shift and we're going to spend some time looking at the question historically. And so let's begin this morning. Um, Does Christianity crush diversity? And I'm going to tell you the answer right up front. From a theological perspective, from a biblical perspective, the answer is no. And so we're going to spend some time looking. I want to just lay out three different, point out three different truths that the Bible teaches us to help us to understand that Christianity does not crush diversity. Christianity, in fact, celebrates diversity in the context of Christian unity in Christ. And so so the first truth that I want us to look at is going to be found in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. And, And the first point is this, that all nations descended from one man, Adam. Okay, we're starting... Paul, Paul here is preaching to a group of unbelievers who uh, are idol worshipers and, and they haven't heard of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and Paul comes and he sees all their idolatry and he's moved and he, and he begins to proclaim to them the God who created the heavens and the earth. And in that context, Paul reaches all the way back to the book of Genesis, and he shares this with his audience. He says, and he, meaning God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. This is real simple. Paul is saying that we all came from one man. We're all descendants of Adam and Eve. This is the beginning point of understanding why diversity should not be a problem in the church. If we believe that we all descended from one man, it begins to root out the idea that there is one race that is superior to another. Amen? It is this idea that, that we are all Uh, from one man and one woman, that we are connected, that we belong to one another, that we are all made in the image of God. That, 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 That truth that we are made in the image of God is something that has been diminished even in the life of the church. You see, if we understood and we we really have internalized the idea that every human being is made in the image of God, we would treat each other with mutual love and respect. But that idea of being made in the image of God is almost kind of like in the background because we're looking at this. We're looking at skin color. We're looking at hair texture. We're looking at physical characteristics and we're judging each other based off off the external instead of looking at the fact that each one of us are image bearers of God. And if we understand that, you know, in the book of James, 
uh, James chapter 3, James tells us that, that, that we shouldn't curse at each other. Amen? Oh, you guys didn't say that real loud. Wow. You, is this a cursing church? <laughs> but J- James, James, says, James says that we shouldn't curse at each other. You know why? Because we're image bearers of God. What he's telling us, he's saying being an image bearer of God should be so highly valued in our uh, value system that we are very careful how we treat and speak to one another. And when we look at a church today that is racially divided, it's an indication that we don't really value each other as image bearers of God to the degree that the scripture calls us to. We're all descendants from one man, Adam. We're all descendants from one man, Adam. We're all connected. We all belong to each other. As believers, we should hold dearly to that. The second truth I want us to look at this morning is that it's found in uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and that's that all nations are the focus of the gospel. All nations are the focus of the gospel. We all come from one man and one woman. We're all connected. We, have a common, we share a common humanity. And then the Bible goes on and, uh, and, and lays another layer out, another truth for us to grab onto. And this truth is that all nations are the focus of the gospel. In Genesis chapter 12, you might remember God is talking to Abram, and and this is is right after God has scattered people from the Tower of Babel. You remember all the people, they they came together and they said, we're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to build a tower to heaven. We want everybody to remember us. They weren't concerned about the glory of God. They were concerned about their own glory. And God, the Bible says, God looked at their unity, their one-mindedness. He looked at the, he saw that their unity, he said, these people will be able to do whatever they put their mind to. I wish he'd say that about the church. But he looked at them, he says, I've got to confuse this mess. I've got to break this unity up because they've become unified against me. And so God confused their languages and they're scattered. That's in chapter 11. And then in chapter 12, immediately in chapter 12, God calls Abram. And listen to what he says. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And I, and I, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. Listen to this next portion. And in you, all the families or all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. 
So I want you to see here that after God looks down and, and he sees this, this rebellious unity against him and he confuses it, his next impulse is an impulse of grace. It's a desire to be rec- a reconciled to the very people he just scattered. Because God is a God of grace. He wants a relationship with us. He created us for relationship with himself. And even though he had to dismantle their, their, their self-glorifying enterprise, the moment he sent them out, the moment he created this confusion, he says, I want them back. And everything that we see in the Bible from in the book of Genesis as we come down into the New Testament is all geared toward being reconciled to a rebellious people. And he says to Abraham, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God was telling Abram, I'm not done yet. I've got a plan. And then when we fast forward to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3 verses 7 and 8, we, we see the Apostle Paul again helping us to understand that all nations are the focus of the gospel. Why am I focused on all nations? Because, because the nations represent people who look differently than each other. The nations are comprised of people with different uh, cultural backgrounds who do things, do life differently. I mean, if, if, we, if we just look at the different ethnicities here in America, we see there's a great amount of diversity. And what the gospel echoes to us from the scriptures is that God is in pursuit of all of us. No matter what nation, no matter what tribe, no matter what tongue, God is pursuing all of us. And so what what Paul says here in Galatians chapter 3, he says, he says, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now, what Paul was saying was hard for the Galatian church to swallow because many of them were Jewish and, 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 and they had come to believe that this was all about them and that, and that they were, everybody had to conform to Judaism, that everybody had to sing the way they sang. Everybody had to eat the kind of food they ate. Everybody had to worship the way they worship. And, and, and so the Jews were thinking, everybody who comes becomes a Christian now has to assimilate into Jewish culture. And that's what they were trying to force on the Gentiles. And what, and what Paul is saying, he's saying, uh, let, let me re-explain the gospel to you. He says, it's those who have faith that are the sons of Abraham. He says, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached, get this, God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham when he said this, in you all the nations shall be blessed. Say amen. Amen. See, because if that's not true, you wouldn't be saved today. 
See, see what, what God, God in his great desire to be reconciled to lost humanity didn't just focus on one people group and say, these are my people. God called Abram and the Jewish people to be a vehicle through which he would touch every nation, tribe, and tongue. That's the gospel. And so when, when, when we get stuck in the race issue as believers, we need to go back to the gospel and understand what God's intention was. Christianity is a racially inclusive religion proclaiming the grace of God, revealing a God who pursues broken people regardless of where we've come from, regardless of our ethnicity. God zealously pursues us to draw us into fellowship with him. The third point here is that from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 20 through 23, all nations and cultures are to be adapted to for the sake of the gospel. All nations and cultures are to be adapted to for the sake of the gospel. This is a, I love this scripture. Um, because it, it, it reminds us of the need to be culturally flexible in the church. We get stuck. We're stuck in many regards in the church. That's why we have churches that are predominantly white, churches that are predominantly black, churches that are predominantly Hispanic, churches that are predominantly Japanese. Why? Because we get stuck culturally. Paul says here, he says, to the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became, listen, I became, I became, I became, which means he adapted to something that he wasn't naturally himself. He says, to the Jew, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. In other words, Paul says, I'm going, to, I'm going to adapt to whatever group I'm talking to and fellowshipping with in order that I might win them to Christ. He goes on, he says, to those who are outside the law, that would be Gentiles, non-Jewish people, he says, I became as one outside the law. I adapted to them. And he goes on and he says, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become <clears throat> all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And then he says this, I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in his blessing. In a country that prides itself on being American, that political perspective, when we talk about American exceptionalism, 
When we talk about patriotism, anybody starting to get a little uncomfortable? If you are, it's okay. It's all right. When we start talking about American exceptionalism and, and patriotism, one of the struggles when we're talking about these things is there, there are points when American patriotism, American exceptionalism, America first philosophy contradicts the gospel. And we have to be able to identify that. I mean, think about how many of have you have ever heard somebody say this or about somebody who's speaking a different language in America. You need to learn the language. You're here in America, you need to speak English. You need to give up your own language. Anybody ever heard anybody say that? I have. And it flows out of an arrogance that runs contrary to the gospel. Because the gospel calls us to love people of other ethnicities, other languages, to such a degree that we, we will adapt to them. We, um, <clears throat> in the, our Racial Reconciliation Network, we have a, uh, a few pastors who, are, who, is, who are Hispanic. And we have one from Chile who has come to America as a missionary. <clears throat> and he speaks English, and he speaks English well enough for me to understand what he's talking about. But you can see at times when he's, when he's talking in English, he's, he's translating in his head. And so his communication isn't as free as it normally would be. And, and so I asked him to speak at one of our gatherings. I said, when you speak at our gathering, I want you to speak in your own tongue. And then we'll have somebody translate for you. We're going to adapt to you. And the reason I wanted him to speak in his own tongue is because I knew we would see his passion when he was able to communicate freely. And it, it might be uncomfortable for us as Americans to be in someone's company who speaks a different language. We might feel a little displaced. <clears throat> but listen to what Paul says. To the Jew, I become a Jew. To the weak, I become weak. I am going to, I'm going to adapt to you in order to win you to Christ. I'm going to adapt to you in order for our relationship to grow in Christ together. Christians, the church, should be one of the major places in society where people from different ethnic backgrounds feel welcome no matter where they came from. And so the, the, the way that we do that is that we have to identify those cultural barriers that we have as Americans, that we can throw up a barrier that's insensitive and, and causes people to feel unwelcomed in our churches. Where do we need to adapt? You see, the reality is that Jesus died for a multi-ethnic church. When God spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he had a multi-ethnic church on his mind. 
It wasn't just a Jewish community. It wasn't just a white community. It wasn't just a black community. And, 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 it, and it wasn't a Hispanic community. He was looking at every nation, tribe, and tongue. And the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter, I believe it's chapter 5, that, that one day we will all be around the throne, every nation, tribe, and tongue. And I doubt we're going to be segregated. The white section over here, the black section over there. It's not going to be that way. Because, because we are going to be so filled with the love of Christ. And so the Bible tells us that we need to learn to live that out now. When Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What he's saying is, he's saying that, that we as the believers in Jesus Christ, followers of Christ, are supposed to take our cues from heaven so that we bring the culture of heaven down to earth and make it visible for the unbelieving world to see and experience. And that's why they'll look at us racially diverse and, and loving each other, building up each other, honoring each other, just, just pouring out our lives for each other and saying, what is different about these people? And we can say, it's Jesus. Amen? All right. So Christianity does not, the, the, the teaching of Scripture does not crush diversity. It honors diversity. Diversity is something that God blesses in the church. He wants us to be diverse. He died for a multi-ethnic church. His goal in the gospel is all nations. But now let's shift. And I want to answer the question historically. Does Christianity crush diversity? Maybe I'll reword the question just a little bit. Do Christians in America crush diversity? And the answer is yes. We have a long and ugly history of racism in America. And Christians, we, we struggle because, I don't know, I, I grew up in, I went to public school. And I, I was taught America's great, and, and, and you know, I, I was taught all these things, and I had all these heroes that I was supposed to adore. And as I grew up as an adult and started reading for myself I was like, and reading my Bible, I was like, oh, my goodness. And there's a tension. There's a tension that we, that we experience when we start talking about American history. Most of you probably celebrate the 4th of July. We became independent. Woohoo! Our here's here's one of the points of tension. Our founding fathers, and I say our, our founding fathers had brilliant ideas when it came to talking about freedom and liberty and throwing off oppression. 
And at the same time that they were establishing a free nation, they were oppressing minority people. There's a real tension there. Because if we, if we lean politically right, America's great. It's a great nation. And if we lean left, America's a bad nation. There's a lot of things wrong with our nation. Well, the, re, the reality is true. That, that there are good things about our nation, and there's some very terrible things about our history at the same time. And this really shouldn't be all that hard to understand. <laughs> there's some good things about you and me, <laughs> and there are some not-so-good things about you and me. And that same characteristic is true of our, the history of our country. And so as we, as we look at this, um, one, one of the most visible demonstrations that, that there is a, a race problem in America and has been from the beginning is the fact that most of our churches today are racially segregated, voluntarily. There's no laws that, you know, white, white church is here, black church is here, Hispanic church is here. There's no law that governs us going that way, but we still do. We're racially divided from one another. Why? Because we haven't resolved the issue of our history in America in the life of the church. Now, I don't, I don't expect the unbelieving world to, to have a solution here because the reality is they don't have a solution. We're the only ones who have a solution. But the moment we put down our Bibles, then we don't have a solution. So here, here's what I want us to do this morning. We're just going to take a, a real quick historical jog but before we do that, and uh, you guys back there might need to flag me on the time because I'm on a roll. <laughs> so just raise your hand if you, you got five minutes or whatever, all right? Um, before, we, before we get into an in-depth talk, it's not going to be in-depth, uh, a talk about history, here's, let me ask this question. What makes it difficult for Christians to talk about racism, about racism in American history? So let me give you a few things. The first thing that makes it difficult, one of the things, is political idolatry in the church. We have a lot of political idolatry in the church. Um, um, we feel tension every four years. You know why? Political idolatry. I mean, because, because if, if the right person just gets in the White House, everything's going to be okay. We're, I mean, America, America's going to move the right direction if we get this Democrat or this Republican in the White House. And, and so the world has said to the church, hey, pick a side. Pick a side. And unfortunately, we do. And when I say this, I'm not saying don't vote. And I'm not saying don't pick a, vote for a candidate. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about where's your hope lie. Where is your allegiance at the end of the day? See, because if we're going through anxiety every four years and, and we get tense with each other in the congregation, I don't know if he's, uh, if he's a, Republican, a Republican or a Democrat, a conservative or a liberal. Uh, he, he sounds like he's woke. We, 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 we start labeling each other this way. 
instead of dealing with each other as children of God. And, and so, so the political idolatry makes it hard to talk about because, it, I mean, if, if you, you think we're going to make America great again, if you think any man or any woman can make America great again, you're wrong. <laughs> Only Jesus can make America great. And the only way that that's going to happen is that people come to know him and learn to operate on kingdom principles. Okay, I'm, I'm, i got to keep going. Okay, another, another reason it's difficult to talk about is the fear of saying something wrong. I, and I, I've heard this more from white people than anybody else. You know, I, you, you, you start getting into a conversation on race and I've seen white people, whoo, <laughs> I'm done. Not going there. Why? Because, because I don't want to be seen as a racist. I, I may have an opinion and it might not go over well. And, and so that makes it difficult. Um, and, and in the church, that shouldn't be a problem. You see, the church needs to be a place of grace Amen. where we can talk with each other about difficult issues and the relationship will never be in jeopardy because it's rooted in Christ. Another, okay, I'm going to skip some of these so I can get done on time, or at least close to on time. One of the other things that makes it difficult to talk about race um, is a lack of relationships with some people who don't look like you. If you, don't, if you don't have other people in your life from different ethnic backgrounds, it, it makes it difficult because you don't have insight. You're living in a bubble. And, 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 and it's easy to live in a bubble. It's easy for me. I could live in a black bubble where I'm just talking to black people about race and, and issues and that kind of thing. And guess what? I'm going to have a black perspective and not a kingdom perspective. And we need each other to hear each other's perspectives in the context of the church so that we can flesh these ideas out with all of us having the same goal. God, help us to think biblically on these issues. Help us to express your mind and your heart so that the world will see how we love each other and be drawn to you. Another reason it's challenging to talk about race issues because there's a lack of urgency regarding gospel unity. So many of our churches are siloed. We're siloed from each other. And as long as our ministry is going good, the world's fine. I mean, we got a building. We got a good budget. We got a good pastor team. We're, hey, we got a good ministry. We're good. We're good. And the church down the street with people who don't look like you are struggling to keep the doors open. Or they're going through some spiritual turmoil and you know nothing or I know nothing about it. Because there's so much division and ministry is just looked at in our silo. That's not the unity that God called us to. If one member of the body suffers, we're all supposed to suffer. You stub your toe, I can guarantee you the rest of your body is going to respond. It, you're, you will change your agenda to meet the need of that one body part. 
And Paul says that's how we're supposed to be with each other. <clears throat> okay. Um, let me give you one more thing that makes it difficult, and then we'll look at a little history. The other thing that makes talking about American history and racism difficult is because we lack empathy. We don't care. Not enough to get outside of our comfort zones. Not enough to die to ourselves. Yeah, we know there's race problems in the church, but I'm just going to keep going to my small group and, you know, living my life and trying to work on my family. It's not a big issue. It is a big issue. In John 17, Jesus prayed that we would all be one as he and the Father are one. When that, when that hit me, when that really hit me, <clears throat> have you ever read a scripture and think you got it? I got it. And God's like, no, you don't. You don't have a clue with what you just read. And I had that experience, and I was reading over that scripture. He's like, I got it. <clears throat> he said, no, you don't. He said, I want your relationship with your white brothers and sisters, your Hispanic brothers and sisters, your Native American brothers and sisters, your Korean brothers and sisters. I want your relationship with them to mimic the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want your relationship to be Trinitarian-like. Oh, that struck me. Because I don't love anybody like that. I, 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 don't, I, 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 fell, I fall so short of that. And, but yet God was saying, this is what I want you to strive for in your relationship. So if you're white this morning, God wants you to have Trinitarian relationships with black people and Hispanic people. If you're black this morning, God wants you to have Trinitarian-like relationships with white people and Asian people and, and, and Native American people. And if you're some other ethnicity, God wants you to go outside your ethnicity and have a Trinitarian-like relationship with other Christians so that the world will see the glory of God put on display, made visible. <clears throat> okay. American history, now I'm going to answer the second the, the question again. Uh, does Christianity crush diversity? And the answer is yes, from our historical past. I'm just going to hit some bullet points real quick and then wrap up with some application. American history is rooted in bad theology. What the, ch the, the church... If you've ever read, or I recommend to you Jamar Tisby's book, The Color of Compromise, if you haven't read that book, please read it. it, it he documents how the church has been complicit, involved with endorsing racism in the country. It, it, you know, and when you, when you start going through church history, it's like, oh my goodness, we've had a problem for a long time. Actually, we had a problem in the New Testament. That's why Paul wrote the book of Galatians. Jews didn't want Gentiles around. Remember in Galatians chapter 2 where, where uh, Peter's hanging out with the Gentiles? He's having ham sandwiches and all that stuff. And, 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 and the Jews come to town. And <clears throat> when the Jews come to town, Peter pulls back. And Peter starts a Jewish church separate from the Gentiles. 
Not going to have prayer meeting with you guys anymore. Not going to have Bible study with you anymore. Not going to worship with you anymore. I'm over here with my Jewish brothers. Paul, Paul shows up and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on here? Segregated. Oh, Paul says, dude, you are way wrong. You are not living according to the gospel. And so this problem is not new in America. It's the human condition for us to, to, to exalt ourselves racially over other people. And, and so in, in American history, it, 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 it came to the shores of America with Columbus. Columbus came here under the philosophy that it was okay for Christians, Christian Europeans, to go into foreign lands and conquer them with the sword in order to bring them to Christ. What do you think about that? You think that's okay? You remember in the garden when Peter pulled out his sword? What Jesus said to him? Dude, you got to put that away. This is not how my kingdom works. And there, there was this great theological misunderstanding that, that, that it was okay to, to blend together the power of the sword and the gospel in order to conquer lands. It's called the doctrine of discovery. So that was one error. Here's another one. <clears throat> throughout church his, excuse me, throughout American history, the church, we've had pastors who have defended slavery. They defended the slave trade. And there are some popular, I mean, some, I should say, well-known pastors who did that that stunned me when I started reading history. George Whitfield was one of those powerful preachers. And I, as I started researching, I said, oh, he was pro-slavery. So was Jonathan Edwards. And I was like, man, what do I do with that? I read all these guys' books. And I'm, I'm, getting all, I'm getting all this great knowledge for him, and I'm like, ah. But, this, but, but, but our, 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 the racism in America is rooted in bad theology. I, I brought a book up here. Um, I, most of you probably don't have this on your bookshelf, but it's a Bible, and it's called the Negro Bible. This is a real Bible. But the Negro Bible was a Bible that was put together for slaves to use, um, and they, what they did is they took out all the passages that might inspire slaves to think about freedom or have hope. You know, so like the story of Joseph, probably not in here. Any, any passage that gave them hope, in, but you know what was in here? Slaves, submit to your masters. And, and they edited the Bible for slaves so that they could use this Bible was really created to maintain financial profit. That's part of our history here in America. <clears throat> Let me hit one more area and then we'll, I'll wrap up with some application. One of the reasons that we have churches of different ethnicities 
is because there was a period where blacks couldn't be in a white church, and we had to separate. <clears throat> Something has gone wrong in our history. It began wrong, it's been wrong, and we've never, the church has never been committed to changing course in a gospel way. This is our opportunity. This season, this generation has an opportunity. See, every generation gets an opportunity to help make a course correction. It's kind of like the children of Israel at the edge of the promised land. And God says, go in and take the land. And, and the, the spies come back and say, no, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. They, they got some big giants in there. There's no way we're going in there. God's like, okay, all right, take a 40-year walk. I don't want to take a 40-year walk. God has called us to make a course correction, and he's told us, go in and take the land. I want you all to come together as one people, conquer this giant of racism by coming together as the people of God and demonstrating a unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Conquer. Because when you do that, when we come together, when we have a Trinitarian kind of love, the Bible says that the world will believe. John 17, verse 23, the world will believe that Jesus was sent from the Father. All right, let's wrap up with this. Uh, a call to gospel repentance. What, what should we do? What should we do to correct course correct. Now, we, we read a confession of sin this morning and, 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 and uh, uh, assurance of pardon. And, and there's a lot of internal work that we got to work on. There's, you know, we all got, we all got, we all have racial baggage. Amen. We all got racial baggage. So we got to start dealing with it. We got to start talking about it and we need to talk to each other about it. We need to be intentional about it. But let me give you some bullet points, and then I'm going to close this in prayer. Here's some things that we can do. Intentionally learn about the suffering of other people groups. Read books and, 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 and talk to people who look differently than you. Ask questions. Be intentional about learning about the suffering of other people. I, this, this, in, a, in a world where we, 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 we love our comfort, you know, I don't want to read that bad news. I don't want to read about a whole bunch of suffering. I want to be comfortable. I want, I want to enjoy my life. Don't bring me all this bad news. That's worldly talk. Christianity teaches us to enter into other people's story. Enter into other people's suffering so that we can participate with them and bring the comfort that we've come to know in Christ. And so, so, so um, I, I, I read a book uh, on Native American history, and I started reading, and I had to put it down because it was breaking my heart. Some of the things that happened to our Native American brothers and sisters. We have to be willing, if we, if we, if we carry the love of God in our hearts, we cannot walk by on the other side of the road 
We have got to read and study and learn why people are hurting and why they have pain and trauma in order that we can bless them and love them and help them come to know Christ. Secondly, intentionally build relationships with diverse groups of people. I mentioned that before. Next, uh, intentionally serve and do justice for people who are ethnically different than you. Intentionally ask the question, Where's the pain in this region? Where's the pain in this community? Who are the people in this community who are marginalized, who are hurting, who are suffering, who we might just drive by and and not have any clue about? We need to seek them out. We need to know our community and understand where the pain is and then step into those circles with the intention of serving people who are marginalized and doing justice in their behalf. The next, amen, amen. Next is intentionally identify what racial barriers make other ethnicities feel unwelcome in your church community and worship. Uh Uh-oh. This one gets touchy. I, I go to a predominantly black church. And, and we have been asking ourselves the question, why is this church predominantly black? What are we doing that makes people feel uncomfortable? I go to a black Baptist church. You know what we do? We dress up. Everybody, tie, shirt and tie, all buttoned up, suited up, that kind of thing. And we, we started thinking about that. We was like, we, gotta, we need to stop. Loosen up so that people who come in don't feel like there's a dress code. We have to identify that. We have to be intentional about involving people in our church who are not black in positions of leadership and making them more visible, that they have a place in the life of the church. We have to be intentional about that. Because if if everything's all white, Or if everything's all black, guess what? We're sending signals to people. And so we have to be very intentional about this. Uh, In Acts chapter 6, when they had the conflict with all the widows, the people that they chose to fix the problem were in the minority. The minorities fixed the problem. So we just have to to figure out how to mix it up. My last bullet point, intentionally build a rhythm of regular fellowship with ethnically different churches, local churches. This is, this is for you, for you all as a church. If you, if you want to live repentant as a church in this culture that has been in many ways monolithic, or homogenous in our, in our church life, then we need to intentionally mix it up. Is there, is there an African-American church anywhere around here? Is there a, maybe an Asian church around here somewhere? Do you guys know them? You hang out with them? We, that, that's what we need to do. We all, and, and that's what we're trying to do as pastors. We're spending time with each other, getting outside of our boxes and having discussions, and the church needs to do that too. The church down the road, who's different than you, needs to know 
that you love them. And that if they need you, you will come running. Let me end with this, and we'll pray. When Cain killed Abel, God came to him and said, where's your brother? And Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? Is it my business to know what he's up to? Is it my responsibility to know where he is, how he's doing? Why are you asking me this question? And the truth is, we are our brother's keeper. The gospel doesn't crush diversity. It promotes it. It honors it. It celebrates it as a creation of God. And Jesus came into the world and died to redeem all of us, regardless of our ethnicities and our cultures. Historically, we have fallen short in so many ways. And we could, we could walk out of here depressed and think about how bad it is, but no, 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 no. The gospel gives us great hope. See, because regardless of the odds against us, here's the reality. We're the only people in the world who can turn this thing around. And we have been empowered. The Bible says greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The Bible also says that God will do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or imagine. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in us. There's nothing that God has called us to do that we can't do. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just scratch the surface of a very challenging subject about race and diversity. And God, we just, we just pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would help us to understand our role as ambassadors of Christ in this broken world, that we would be people who are peacemakers, that we would be people who bring reconciliation because we have a biblical perspective in contrast to a worldly or political perspective. Lord, help us to repent by taking actions that will change not only our interactions with other people, but will change our churches so that we become a place of grace for all people, walk through our doors and feel welcomed and loved and accepted. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it, man. So, thank you. Thank you. Uh, so we're going to move to a time of question and answer. And just like last week, for those of you guys who were here last week, we're way behind on time. So, uh, but Sorry. what I totally forgot. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I was guilty of it last week. It's a lot to cover. Um, uh, what I completely forgot to tell you about before the message is that we're going to do Q&A at the end, and we're also going to do Q&A 
after the service is over. We did that last week, but I, I take it, it'll probably take us some time to get used to that rhythm. And so you're all invited to continue the conversation in the commons after the service is over. If you didn't already bring lunch, uh, you can go grab some lunch and come back. We're not even gonna start the actual Q&A part until noon, and so you'll have some time to kind of do that. Otherwise, just join us in there and we'll continue. I've got like a massive list of questions, although I have gotten, you answered most of them okay. in the message uh, as they were coming in or, or later. Uh, I just want to I just want to share a few of them with everybody, okay. so that they can kind of get teased on the fact that we're going to keep talking about this. Okay, so just a few things: uh, Should Christians operate in a heart of colorblindness? Mm. Is one question. So, mm. is colorblindness what we should approach things like? Uh, I'm white. Does this mean I'm racist? Mm. Uh, uh, all of this stuff about our nation's history feels really condemning. Why are we talking about it? Mm. Have Christians also done good for diversity? Say that again. Have Christians also done good for diversity? Mm, mm. Um, I actually, I, I, I think we might come back to that one as one that you could answer right now, and then we'll come back to some yeah. of these other ones later. Uh, let's see. Trinity is a predominantly white church. Uh, what are some things you would recommend to help us move toward a multi-ethnic representation of God's church? I think you did answer that, but we could talk more about that. Um, uh as a white woman, I've tried to connect with black women, but in my experience, they, aren't, they haven't wished to engage with me. As a child, I had a lot of black friends, but they didn't want to continue those friendships with, with me as I grew up. Do mm. you have any insight to how mm. I can build these bridges back? Um, uh, let's see. I think maybe some more questions about your church being a predominantly black church, and you're acknowledging that that uh, segregation is is wrong just as much as any other right. racially segregated church is wrong so questions about what how do you guys approach that how are you thinking about that um uh let's see okay there's more but i that's just <laughs> a little <laughs> teaser those are some of the questions that we're going to answer hopefully or at least respond to yeah but why don't we just look at this one okay all this stuff about our nation's history feels really condemning yeah um, I even talked to some. I ran to the bathroom in the middle of the sermon and was talking with someone in there about, <laughs> you know, I my my ancestors didn't even come. They're from Ireland and they experienced racism as as Irish people mm -hmm. in like a hundred years ago. So, so what do we do with that? And and have Christians also done good for diversity? Mm -hmm. So is oh, that too much which, to answer right now? Or no, can, no. Which can, one do you want me to hit first? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Whichever one you want to. All this stuff about our nation's history feels really condemning. Why are we talking about it? Have Christians also done good yeah. for diversity? Yeah. So, so, yes. Um, when we start talking about American history, racism in America, it does feel condemning. Our history is ugly. And so let me, let me caution you, if you're white, to not attempt to say, we talked about that and move on. Because there, there's a... There's a real insensitivity to the depth of suffering that has gone on. There, there, have, have good things happened? Have people, the church, and in addition to the church, white people done good things for diversity? Absolutely. Absolutely. Our challenge, however, in the church is that the majority of our churches are still segregated, which means we haven't internalized the gospel and, and began to reverse our perspective. 
When, when, when I hear, there's, there's too much negative. It's kind of like, come walk with me. Not only in our history is there deep and wide pain as a result of oppression. Let me say this too. Um, all of you who are white in here are not responsible for slavery. You're not responsible for the lynchings that have gone on throughout American history. You're not responsible for the Jim Crow laws, okay? I, my house sits on a piece of land that, was on, that it was owned by the Puyallup tribe, and they were forced into a treaty, and that land was taken away from them, and it's now called Tacoma. And, and I live on a piece of land that was oppressively taken away from a group of people, and now I'm benefiting from that oppression. I have had to ask myself, what's my responsibility? What's the debt of love that I owe to the Native American people? I can't undo all that happened in the past, but God calls us to... Um, how do I want to say this? God, God calls us to begin to reverse the evil that was done in the past by loving people in the present. And so, and so when, if, if you say oh, all this stuff sounds negative, it's not, and it's not just historical. So it, as, as, a, as a Christian man who happens to be black, I want to encourage you to be sensitive to going deeper into the pain of other people in order to understand the history. For example, if you're white, you probably don't wonder whether or not, if you get pulled over by a police officer, whether you're going to survive it. You probably don't think about that. As a man of color, I do. And I was a police officer. And I still think about it. Because the reality, the reality is, is that things like that continue to go on every day. And so, and so part of, when, when you hear about the, the negative elements <clears throat> of our history, is don't, don't pull back from it and say, I'm, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired of hearing about all that. You, you, you may feel tired of hearing about that because you're trying, to, you're trying to push off a sense of guilt, or you may feel like, people are trying to make you feel guilty. I don't want those of you who are white to feel guilty about being white. And, and Amen. Amen. That's right. God made you white. God made me black. Who you are is a gift from God. The question is, what do we do with the gift that God has given to us? It's a stewardship. And so, so think about it like this. We talk about white privilege. Um, and I've been asked about white privilege a lot. And there's also male privilege in America. In addition to male privilege, there's also good health privilege. Some of us were born whole and without any defects. And, th and there's also economic privilege. So you have all these privileges, including white privilege. And the question is, what does the gospel tell us to do with our privilege, whatever it is? Even if you got it, you know, through somebody else's evil. 
God calls us to use our privilege to serve and love other people with it. And so when you do that, then all of a sudden it changes the whole dynamics of the relationship. If you're using your privilege to get ahead of me, that's going to rub me the wrong way. But if you use your privilege to serve me, oh man, it's going to bind our hearts together. Awesome. Thank you, Lonnie. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.